There aren't many books that one could say are on the subject of garden philosophy. Some may imagine that Helen Yost has written a book on garden design, but it is a different kind of how-to book, perhaps a self-help book filled with garden philosophy. Gardening with Confidence is her way of encouraging people to channel their inner gardenistas, a powerful, self-assured nature lover who seeks to create a sustainable, organic, wildlife-friendly green oasis that expresses who they are. It sounds like a tall order to garden with confidence when so many of us spend most of our time asking questions, wondering who will judge us, whether it be neighbors or nature. These are the kinds of things that affect all artists, something Helen knows all too well. But I'll let her tell you about these issues and other topics that interest this writer, like garden art and the secret lives of plants. And I'd like to welcome Helen Yost to Ken Drew's Real Dirt. Hi, Ken. Thanks for having me. I hope I pronounced your name right. You did, <laughs> yeah. Helen Yost runs with most. <laughs> well, that's what I thought. <laughs> so you do have this book, Gardening with Confidence, and uh, 50 Ways to Add Style and Personality and creati- Creativity to a Garden. Um, and I'm really, I'm really interested in your philosophy, because that's what your book is all about. And we can talk about the other projects you're working on, too. But let's jump in. Tell me, tell me what you say to gardeners. How do you help gardeners? Well, at first, I, I want to... Um congratulate you on that wonderful phrase of self-help. I never even thought of it that way, but that's exactly what it is. And it was probably my own self-help that I wrote and hope that others can, kind of can learn from it. But, um, yeah, it, it is a different kind of philosophy to not stress out in the garden, but to, to kind of embrace it and just take one element at a time. I think people can be intimidated thinking, oh, I've got to build this beautiful... 50-foot border and everything be perfect all the time when it's really a process that should be enjoyed and one one step at a time. Isn't that funny? Because we, we think of gardens as places to relax, but the gardeners don't usually relax. It, so many times you put a bench in the garden and you never sit in it. <laughs> I know. I, it's just, that's, that's the truth. And um, In fact, I just wrote a piece on my blog this weekend about having created a new space that I'm calling the fire garden because it's where I ended up putting a, a makeshift fire pit. And um, my kids' playground was there, and I waited to take it down and put up a chicken coop and put up uh, a garden house that I call the Love Shack, mm-hmm. and this, um, where the footprint of this garden or uh, this um, playset was was this new space that I stepped in for the first time and looked at a mature garden and said, I didn't even know, I, I mean, I didn't even have the forethought to know that this was going to occur. I created this new space and didn't even know I did. And so it was really a, a ha- an aha moment for me to stop and sit down and have different perspectives in the garden and say, gosh, you know, every day is a new adventure in a new space and to, and to embrace it. And so now I go in the garden and do nothing. Now I have a place. My thought is, is well, if I'm going to just sit down inside, why not sit outside? You know, why not stay warm with a fire? Right. You know, as you're s- telling me this, I'm thinking we have to give gardeners permission, but, but why do we have to give gardeners permission? <laughs> How did this happen? How did that happen? Didn't we, um, we put too many demands? many demands on people Do we, are we is it just part of this instant society where we want we want it within two seconds and three seconds 
already? Well, uh, easy and instant has have been around for a long time, but but maybe it's when when gardening, especially ornamental gardening, started to get popular about 20 years ago. We saw so many beautiful gardens in books and in magazines. Maybe that raised an impossible bar, and we forgot that we weren't, as I said before, it, the competition. You know, you think, oh, what will my neighbors think, or what is the audience going to think? Am I am I reaching for this? almost unattainable level or it's as you said too a, a 50 foot long border what are we doing that for are we doing it for ourselves or are we doing it for people who visit the garden we're, we're forgetting what gardens are for right and we're forgetting that we really should be gardening for ourselves and what makes us happy or our family happy and not really worry about what other people think no you know being realistic we're all going to worry some you know, or we wouldn't, you know, be brushing our hair every day and brushing our teeth, you know, mm -hmm. but we're really doing it for ourselves. But, you know, truth be told, we also don't want to run into somebody with coffee breath. So <laughs> it's, that, <laughs> it's that same kind of concept, you know. We want to do it for ourselves, but it's nice to have something that people appreciate. Yes, but I'm going to think about my appreciating it. Uh, when Sometimes when people look at my garden and they say it's so beautiful and I'm looking at the same thing and I'm just seeing the problems. I'm not yeah, even seeing the pretty things. I know. I, I used to um, do a lot of garden maintenance for clients and when I first got started and and I would show up, you know, once a week and they would take me around the garden and point out everything that they didn't like about the garden. Obviously, they're hiring me and mm -hmm. that's why I was there to fix it. Um, but it, I finally, I, I would have to stop and say, gosh, you know, as we go, can we look at everything that's working? I mean, let's let's not focus only on the negative. Let's just point out some of the beauty as we go as well. And so it really kind of lightened the, lightened the mood uh, quite a bit and started appreciating the garden for the things that we forget to see because there's nothing wrong with it. Well, what are the, some of the things that you can say and tell us to help people do exactly what you're talking about, <laughs> which is to, well, you know what they used to say, stop and smell the roses. Right. Um, well, I guess to start, I want to say that, that my cocky name of Gardening with Confidence really wasn't meant to be cocky at all, but my husband um, kind of gave me that name when he was watching me work out the window one day, and I was kind of dig a hole, digging a hole in the ground and he said you know you really know how to garden with confidence and I and I that kind of stuck um, and but what I what I really learned was is that you know you, you you're not you're using a heavy foot in everything that you're doing and you're doing it with purpose and determination and you're not going to do it with fear or self-doubt you're going to do it because um, because you've you've done your homework or you've gone to arboretum lectures or you've read great books that, that tell you how to do things. Now you just need to get out there and do it and make the mistakes. And plants are going to die and you didn't necessarily kill it. Right. Well, I think that's re that's really good advice. Make You're going to make mistakes. Yeah. Because we think that the word perennial means that the plants are going to live forever. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you may not want a perennial garden forever. I, I've i been here since 88. I mean, excuse me, I moved here in 96, moved in Raleigh in 88. Um, so I've been gardening in this house for 15 years. And um, I started out with a perennial border right off my back porch. And, you know, when you're young and enthusiastic and energetic, that's great, and perennials are great because they're going to fill in faster than um, a mixed border as well, too. So you get that you get that instant charm. 
But as I got older and, and the kids got me busier and my work got busier, I needed to transition that border from a perennial bed to a mixed border. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. I wouldn't look back and not, and not have that wonderful perennial border, but as I go forward, I realize that um, I can have something of beauty that's, that doesn't have the maintenance that a perennial border would have. So you're talking about introducing woody plants and having uh, more things like flowering deciduous shrubs? Yes, and, and even small ornamental trees. I have a thing for weepers, um, but and for example, in my mixed border, I have um, a nana pomegranate, so it's, it's, it's small residential size, and it's got beautiful fruit, and whether I use it or not, it, you know, it's irrelevant because I think the flower is beautiful, so I still have that pop of orange color that I, that I covet. Um, I have uh, viburnum in there. I have some interesting pine, and it is a 50-foot border. That's why I was so easily quipped. Um, what it's like to have one, because I used to have one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also have annuals and perennials, and I garden for the wildlife. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be looking for for plants that are gonna serve that purpose beyond cover, because every plant probably can fall under that category. But I'm really looking for uh, food um, beyond shelter. So you know whether it's a berry or a nectar or or um, or um, pollen, you know, mm -hmm. I'm looking for some element where there's a host plant or, you know, you know, something beyond just cover for, for the wildlife. And, um, and so I look for a lot of natives, but I'm not restricted to just natives. I have a half acre lot, and I feel like that um, as long as I don't put anything in that's aggressive. Mm -hmm. um, but I will look at natives first. But then, you know, I guess that opens the whole can of worms, what is native. And so, you know, just because it's, it's in North Carolina, it may not be native to my area of North Carolina. So I try not to even get kind of in that distinction issue. I really try to look at it as whether it's going to be invasive in my area, and I right. will plant it if it will. Well, you're in a wonderful area <laughs> for plants. I am. We're like the medium size of the fashion world, aren't we? You know, uh -huh. it fits. You know, anyone can squeeze into it, or it could be a little bit big. You know, but we just seem to fit a nice, nice group of plant selections. And and also, places to get plants. Oh yeah. Now we're in La Mecca. <laughs> we are definitely <laughs> a Mecca. We um. You know, I tell people we've got the. We've got the weather to garden year-round, definitely. Winter gardens here are beautiful. And then we have, we're producing the next generation of horticulturists. And we've got NC State. They have a um, fantastic uh, horticultural science program. And then, you know, the results of that, like people like graduates, like Tony Ava is here. Mm -hmm. um, and Plant Delights Nursery is second to none. And Camellia Forest Nursery and, the, and also so many places to see gardens and to see plants and uh, it's you know it's a great destination for people who would like to take a plant holiday with some shopping on the side too <laughs> yes and we also have um, garden conservancy and that's helped us a lot I brought that to this area in 2005 and so we became a map destination from that regard I, I like thinking it has given us a little bit of pedigree but it really did put us on the map so 
we have groups from all over the country now are looking at that and coming. And then when they realize they get here, we've got we've got um, Duke Gardens and the J.C. Ralston Arboretum, UNC Chapel Hill Botanic Gardens, plus a lot of other smaller arboretum. And then um, the nurseries are just the number of nurseries, and a lot of them are just kind of coming from NC State, mm-hmm. which is um, makes it just so wonderful that um, we're not losing a lot of this um, brain power. Well, you're talking about gardens as art, and I know that art is an important part of what you think about in the garden, too. And if you could share with us a little bit about your your dealings with art in the garden and art and gardens as art and etc because I know that's something that you're very interested in I am so thanks for asking um, I, I select art for my garden based on just things that I like and then the artists themselves um, but um, you have to be really careful about placing art in the garden you don't want it to look like a garage sale you know you want it to look like that's something of beauty and when I tell my clients is that when you're when you're standing at a focal point in your garden or a place where to to look at a focal point you only want to be able to see one thing you don't want conflict going on you want to be able to see maybe a break in the rhythm this this um focal point whether it's art or a specimen tree and then be able to move on kind of like a, a side spot within a, a, a border and then when you walk towards that piece then you can turn and find the next piece so I, I kind of equate it to going for a walk in the woods you know and they'll have the path markers on there like a yellow square and when you're standing in one space you should always be able to see the next uh, mile marker or uh, foot marker and then when you get to that spot, you should be able to go and see another one. You don't want to be standing in one spot and see four or five different great pieces of art, but the whole um, beauty of it has been lost because it becomes too busy. So you really do have to be careful, I think, about placing art. But then again, you know, you put in what you love and um, make it work. So like in the summertime, I could have four or five great pieces tucked in with the foliage in a, in a border, and it's not in your face, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like a, like a focal point. Then it come winter, when you when that foliage dies back, you can go ahead and move it, put it in the back. And I do, I move it around, and, and I don't try and think of it as something that's a permanent spot for it. Next year it might go somewhere else. But for the big pieces that I can't move, I have them, I have them in a, a focal point type place. And I'll find art in the strangest places. Um, we have at the, uh, here in North Carolina, the North Carolina Botanic Gardens in Chapel Hill has an annual sculptor tour where they put beautiful um, art in the garden as a fundraiser. And I, I'm going there on Friday to see this year. I think this is the 26th year they've done this. It's a fantastic opportunity. And they try and only do North Carolina artist or ties to North Carolina so um, it's a great way to showcase our our local talent as well and some of the art pieces are phenomenal and they and they all complement well in a garden um, but so we you know we have we have we've got Thomas Sayer here who does these larger than life earth castings and I'm a big fan of his work but I can't put a 30-foot thing <laughs> in my garden. But most artists will always do a model first. Mm. And then every couple years, they'll have a, a, a studio cell. And so I have several of his model pieces. Oh, that's great. It's very exciting. 
Well, I think placing art is incredibly difficult. And I, I feel like sometimes art in my garden has wheels. I just move it all around all the time trying to find that spot. And, and you're telling me, well, okay, move it. <laughs> move it, yes. And that's, that's the confidence part. You know, you know to move it. You know that it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. And what, in what it might be working one year, but it might not be working the next, depending on whatever, you know, what other um, plants are, have matured or, have, or you have lost. Things change. I'm a perfect candidate for this book because I, I have felt so guilty <laughs> and thought, <laughs> what are people going to think? And turning the corner and, and now it looks silly. And I used to love it. And oh, wow, I'm going to really, I'm going to rethink all of this. You're uh, liberated. Yes. Well, maybe. <laughs> One step at a time. Oh, boy. Uh, I, I, I've sort of thought that the maybe the best way to have art in the garden is to get the art first and then build the garden around it. That's true. There's there's a lot of great examples of why people and how people do that, particularly like, say, an arbor. You know, if, if you want to be creative and go out on a limb, if you want confidence like nobody's business, go plop one in the middle of the yard and then build around that, and you'll it, it will come. You'll put a path towards it. You'll put... Um, beds around each of the of the island posts, and before you know it, you have a destination, and you didn't even think it was possible. Well, I am speaking with Helen Yost, who's the author of Gardening with Confidence, 50 Ways to Add Style for Personal Creativity. And I know that you have another book coming out in January uh, on a topic that I'm also very interested in, Plants with Benefits. And uh, it's, unfortunately, if we talk about it now, people have to, well, they could order it early on Amazon perhaps and uh, it would something that you can get for next year I guess it's coming out in January but uh, I'm I'm very interested in the things that you've said a little bit on your blog especially ab about this book but you're you're talking about plants with sex appeal <laughs> kind of okay let me, let me let me get this blush over with because I have to get it <laughs> I have to kind of get this over with before I can proceed and you are the first person that I'm talking with about it on radio so this is wonderful um, it comes out in January it's from St. Lynn's Press they were wonderful to work with but um, I originally wanted to do the book on wildlife benefits of plants but as we talked more and more, it became plants with benefits, and those are the aphrodisiac qualities of plants. And then kind of a look throughout history of um, how plants were used in that regard. And so it's really, it's, it was fascinating, and it was a, a lot of research. I had some great interns at St. Louis Press that also helped with this. Um, trying to identify you know, the Greeks and the Romans, the Aztecs, the Chinese, and you know what their philosophies were, what their thinking was and that made, for example, the avocado on the list. Hmm. And so it, it, you know, kind of all came down to three main categories of how a plant got on the list. And and let me back up though. The most important reason was procreation. You know, from uh, it's, it's like our job as humans to procreate, and so if there was any interruption in that, they were looking for help in that area. So they turned to plants, and um, a lot of it was is based on certainly we know now, but didn't necessarily know then, just the energy that's produced. Um, you know, if you take zinc, for example, a lot of these 
um, plants there with benefits have high contents of zinc. And so there's some truth to it, and there's some myth to a lot of the others. Some of the others were just, um, if it looks like a duck, it must be a duck. Right. You know? So <laughs> the banana is the classic example. And my, my favorite of all of them was the avocado. So I'm going back to the avocado. And the Aztecs believed that there was aphrodisiac qualities in the avocado for one reason, for one reason alone. And do you, can you venture a guess what you think that might be? I imagine it's the appearance of it cut in half. <laughs> well, no, that probably is the secondary. Oh. Um, and I don't grow avocados here in Raleigh. Right. So I, did, I don't know this firsthand, and, but um, I, the research did confirm it. They grow in pairs. And it's oh. nicknamed the testicle tree. And it was so bad that the Aztecs would hide their women during harvest times. They were so afraid that they might excite them so that during harvest, the Aztec women were not allowed to be in the fields. I didn't know that, and I'm sure this book is going to be filled with a lot of things I didn't know, and, and I'm blushing too, but that's, beca <laughs> that's because we're, we're not... Uh, well, I can speak for myself... I'm not that young, because <laughs> when you talk to kids today, they don't think anything of all th of all this stuff. Well, people are so exposed to th to what makes me blush, and uh, I've gotten a little better about it too. But I I think this is fascinating. It it is a very fascinating look and a romp through history and um, the things the things that I had to do for research. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't test everything. <laughs> I had to test everything. No, 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 no. But it was a, it was a fun historical look, and, and it, and it is. It, let me just, you know, just paraphrase. It is a very, very gift book. It's not, you know, a historical tomb of, um, you know, how or why pomegranate is on that list. Um, it's it's really it's confirmed information, of course, um, from a historical perspective. But you know, each chapter is. 500 words, it's a quick look at how it was used, how it works, why it works today, and then some tips on how to grow that if you choose to grow it at home. Right, well, you have, uh, you're have you going to have tips on how to grow them and also how to prepare them. Uh, yes, there is some of that. I'd love to see another book on just the plants with benefits, that would, uh, recipes for that. That would be fun. But there yeah. are some, some teas and some sprays, and some. So you'll be so, so surprised to hear some of the ones that peg that scale. <laughs> I was surprised. <laughs> well, I, I think that uh, you might be the ultimate garden coach, something that we never thought would ever exist, and now people are professional garden coaches, but I think that you are a garden coach too, and people who, who well, everybody, everybody should stop and relax and have, uh, have more confidence. And, uh, you, you know, even just the idea that plants are on your side, which yes. is, you, you know, a lot of gardeners don't realize that plants want to live. <laughs> yeah, yes. that's a good point. Well, it's been great to speak with you. We don't have to go quite yet, but I'm looking forward to Plants with Benefits, and I've enjoyed gardening with confidence. And I, I wonder if there, in a minute or so, is there some kind of words you want to leave us with or some tip or, or something that you would say to just about any gardener? I'm putting you on the spot. You are. I would say, hmm, oh, my gosh. 
I would say always plant in multiples. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? I, you know, I'm a onesie gardener. I've been accused of that. <laughs> but as a wildlife gardener, it really makes a big difference for the visitors to come and be able to see a large swath of something. So, you know, buy in threes or fives and, and build an area as opposed to thinking that you have to do like ones and threes. Now, mind you, you go to Plant Delights and that is... You know, the classic drifts of one, right. um, and it's beautifully done, but you can make a lot less mistakes or um, you know, have to cover a lot more area if you can find one beautiful perennial and then plant it out and then then do another and then another. Well, that's a, that is a good tip, and, and as I know from experience, three, five, seven always looks much more natural than two and four. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being my guest today. And uh, you've been listening to Helen Yost, who's the author of a couple of books and also a garden coach, whether she knows it or not. And uh, thank you again for being on Kendra's Real Dirt. Thank you. Speaking with my guest, Helen Yost, gave me a lot to think about. I'm going to take it a little easier on myself, I think, a little less judgment. Join me again next week for another edition of Kendra's Real Dirt, The Garden Show.